let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for loving us before we ever thought about loving you. In Jesus' name, amen. A little housekeeping stuff first. These glasses were left here last week. Was anybody blind during this past week? I think they were left like right over in this area. I don't even know which service. We'll ask again at the other service. But. And if you need some for this service, maybe, maybe it'll work for you. I don't know. Um, and a reminder that next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. We have uh, a few people, quite a few people, that have come for instruction this past week. And we're going to offer this coming Thursday night again an opportunity, if you are interested in being baptized, um, you can come and we will do the instruction again, repeat that same instruction for next Sunday, a special Sunday. Think about inviting some folks that, that you know that, uh, you know, maybe are kind of outside or on the fringe of the church and, and see if they would come with you perhaps to experience, you know, what is truly one of the pivotal events in in. Uh, the life of a Christ follower. We've already seen some miracles that have taken place. Uh, I'm sure there will be some more miracles that will take place this coming week. God loves it when we are obedient to Him and, and things like this. If you are interested in being baptized yourself on your Connect card, if on the back you would put a big B, I'll get in touch with you and give you more information about... The B stands for baptism, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'll give you more information about um, what to expect and what time to be here on Thursday. We are in the midst of a series called Facades and Foundations, and Walt, um, very artfully last week, took us through some of the facades of prayer. Uh, You might remember that the first week we opened up, we talked about the fact that the Jewish folk back then in Jesus' time and even today, have three pillars that their faith kind of rests on. One pillar is giving, another pillar is prayer, and the third pillar is fasting. And uh, a lot of us here are going to be working on the fasting thing, maybe as we, as we get over to, to talk more about fasting. I need to learn more about it myself. Uh, but This week again, we are right in the midst of the series on prayer. Now, last week, Walt talked to us about how not to pray, really. Uh, Not like the Pharisees and not like the pagans. Um, He mentioned that there's a lot of rules that we have concerning prayer, and there are. There are a lot of rules. And we just, we're kind of a rules-oriented society, are we not? We love rules. I I read this week on the internet as I was looking up some stuff that since the beginning of civilization, world legislatures have enacted more than 10 million laws. Hard to believe. But when you think about local, state, federal, international laws, over 10 million laws, and really what all those 10 million laws do is interpret the Ten Commandments. (laughs) It was all so simple if we'd have just listened and and obeyed those. Um, Some of the laws are absolutely ridiculous that have been enacted, and I wanted to share some of those with you today. 
Can you believe that it was a crime at one time to catch mice in Cleveland without a hunting license? It, it was a crime to own a copy of the Encyclopedia Britannica in Texas because it contained a liquor recipe, how to make liquor. It was a crime to get a fish drunk anywhere in the state of Oklahoma. It was a crime to eat snake on Sundays anywhere in the state of Kansas. I don't know whether they still hold by that or not. It was a crime to go to church in Georgia without a loaded rifle. And I think that one's probably still there today. And whenever two trains meet at a crossing in the state of Texas, you know, a, a crossing like this, both of them must come to a complete stop. And neither one of them may proceed until the other one has gone. Ridiculous laws. When, when Karen and I first moved down here, we were looking for a place to, a house to lease somewhere that we could stay, because we weren't going to stay at the beach very, very long. This is 25 years ago. And uh, we were looking at a de development close by here that some of you uh, are a part of, so I won't say what that development was, but as we were getting ready, we were sitting down at the table ready to sign the lease. And it could have been the Holy Spirit. It could have been the pizza I had the night before, but something told me not to sign that lease when I saw this clause that said, garage doors must remain closed at all times. And I'm thinking, well, how do you get your car in and out? You know, if the garage door has to stay closed. But there were some other phrases in that lease agreement that were just as ridiculous. Rules are everywhere, and they concern virtually everything in our lives. We, we have unwritten rules about how to pray. Um, when to do it, where to do it, what to say, what not to say, what to include, what to exclude from our prayers. And what about things like posture to use? What about the posture that we use? Standing up, sitting down, kneeling, hands raised, hands down, eyes closed, eyes open. So is posture important to prayer? Actually, according to Scripture, if you'll check it out in both the Old and New Testament, all of those things that we just talked about are equally authorized in Scripture. We'll find somebody standing, somebody sitting, somebody kneeling, somebody hands raised, somebody hands clasped, you know, all those. <clears throat> this has always been one of my little favorite poems since, I don't, I don't know, I've, I've had it for years and years and years in an old Bible that I have. And it says this, the proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, the only proper attitude is down upon your knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and rapturous upturned eyes. It seems to me his hands should be devoutly clasped in front with both thumbs pointing up said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year, I fell in Hopkins Well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pointing down. And I made a prayer right then and there, best prayer I ever prayed. The prayingest I ever prayed was standing on my head. So evidently, posture doesn't have much to do with our prayers. So what about the length of our prayers? Is the length of your prayer important? Does it need to be longer, shorter? 
Walt talked last week about Elijah and the Baal prophets, and he referenced the Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18. And if you look at, at that chapter, and I hope maybe you had a chance to look back last week, that is a great story, great story in Scripture. But in uh, verses 36 and 37, Elijah prayed, remember, for the fire to fall on this altar. And his prayer was 63 words long. In the original Hebrew, it's only 33 words long. And it takes less than a minute to read the whole thing. But that prayer resulted in a lifetime of change and, and even more. It's changing us still today. So I'm guessing that length probably is not important. Jim had become a believer, so he was new to the faith. Somebody had encouraged him to get into a church, and he discovered a sanctuary that was open for prayer during the day. And he decided that it would be a good place for him to start. So every day, he, he left work at noon and found his way to the altar of that church. He never stayed long, not more than 30 or 40 seconds. And his repeated brief prayers caught the eye of the pastor. It seemed to him like an inordinately short period of time to pray. But he decided that Jim just kept coming day after day after day, so that was okay. And after a few weeks of this habit, the pastor stopped Jim on his way out one day and he said, what in the world do you pray about for 30 or 40 seconds that would make it worth your while to come all the way down here to pray every day? And Jim thought for a moment. He was kind of puzzled by that question. And then he smiled and said, you know, I never considered that before. I guess I, guess I come to say, Jesus, it's Jim. That's plenty to remind me that I have a heavenly Father who's, who looks out after me. And for him to notice that he has a little boy down here that he needs to look out after. Every day, Jim kept coming. He'd bow at the altar and pray his simple prayer. Jesus, it's Jim. And then wait a minute, as if for confirmation that the message had been received. Then he'd get up and head back to the office. Rain or shine, hot or cold, in busy season or slack, it was always the same. The weeks passed into months and the months into years. He was there to nod at his pastor friend, to kneel in prayer, and to open his heart with, Jesus, it's Jim. Then one night at 2.30, the pastor's phone rang. It was Jim's wife. There had been a terrible accident. Jim had to be airlifted to the hospital. Would the pastor please come to the hospital and please hurry? He dressed quickly and took the 15-minute drive, consumed in his own prayer for his special friend. When he walked into the emergency room, no one needed to say anything at all about how serious this was. One look at Jim was all that it took. The pastor glanced consolingly at the family and then bent over the bed. Jim looked at him through half-glazed, drugged eyes. It won't be long, the pastor thought to himself, and then he spoke softly. Jim, 
Jim, we, we may not have much more time together. I need to know, are you prepared to go home to God? Jim tried to move his lips. Through his tears, the pastor tried again. Jim, this is really important. <laughs> when you step into the next life, are you prepared to meet the Lord? Jim looked up at his friend and whispered, you remember all those times I came and prayed, Jesus, it's Jim. And the pastor nodded. He remembered well, but he couldn't speak. Jim smiled past his pain. Well, I just heard a voice. And you know what he said? Jim, it's Jesus. So I don't think the length of the prayer matters much at all. Short prayers are just fine. And Walt told us last week that Jesus said we weren't to babble on and on and on and on and on with words like the pagans do. Let's look at the example of the prayer that Jesus gave us uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. I like to call it the disciples' prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. And uh, the Lord's Prayer to me is, is Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. But be what it may, we normally refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. Beginning at verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think you're very familiar with those words. Now, in some... Uh, versions, some translations, there's a, a little doxology that follows that. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, that was not in the original um, manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts that we found. That was a section that was added sometime later. Certainly fits in the prayer, but we don't believe it to be actual words that Jesus taught his disciples. But we can certainly say that if you feel like saying it. it. It's very fitting. Here's the big idea for today. Jesus did not give us this prayer to recite. He gave us this prayer to renovate our prayer life. Not to recite, but to renovate us. So what is prayer? Well, prayer is the most important activity of our lives. <clears throat> because it's the main way that we develop our relationship with the Lord, with God, with our Father who is in heaven. And Jesus sees prayer as a relationship, not as a ritual. When Walt talked last week about the, the Pharisees, well, they had made prayer a ritual thing. It had nothing to do about relationship. And Jesus is saying it's all about relationship. Prayer is simply a conversation with God, just talking to God, 
talking to him. So it's a matter of relationship. And when we pray, the whole Trinity is involved in our prayer, or should be. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.18 says this, For through him, that's Jesus, through Jesus, we both, that's Jews and non-Jews, have access to the Father by one Spirit. So Christian prayer is a prayer, first of all, to the Father. It's a prayer to the Father. Not only is he our Father, but this prayer says he's our Father in heaven. So he has heavenly powers, heavenly powers, things that are beyond us. On August the 20th, 1977, Voyager 2, the interplanetary space probe launched to observe and transmit to Earth data about our outer planetary system, set off from Earth traveling faster than the speed of a bullet at 90,000 miles an hour. The space shuttle that just went off has a maximum speed of 17,500 miles per hour. 90,000 miles an hour this thing's traveling. And 12 years later, on August the 28th, 1989, it reached the planet Neptune. 2 billion, 700 million miles from Earth. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like the deficit. It's figures we can't even think about. Voyager 2 then left our solar system. It will not come in contact with any other star for the next 958,000 years. I mean, you hear those numbers and it's, it kind of puts into perspective how fast when we look out and see the stars at night. Our galaxy has, uh, or, or I should say, our galaxy is one of 100,000 million galaxies. I can't even, I, I tried to do it in, in a uh, scientific calculator I had at home, and it says error, <laughs> error, every time I put it in, it just won't go that far. And in a simple line of scripture from Genesis 1.16, speaking of the creation, the writer of Genesis said, he also made the stars. <laughs> he also made the stars. When we're praying, we're speaking to the creator of the universe. We're speaking to a God who is both transcendent and imminent. He is far greater and more powerful than the universe that he created, and yet he is here, right with us when we pray. Mind-boggling. So Christian prayer is to the Father. And Christian prayer is also through the Son. That same scripture, Ephesians 2, 18, Paul is writing, and he says that through him, through Jesus again, we have access to the Father. We've talked about it in here before. We have absolutely no right at all to come to the throne of God with anything. We don't deserve that right. But we're able to do so through Jesus and in his name. And that's why we customarily end a prayer with through Jesus Christ our Lord or in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To end our prayers within Jesus' name is not a formula. Don't think about that as something we have to do or it becomes a ritual again. But it's an acknowledgement of the fact that we can only take that prayer to God through His Son. That's how we have access. Christian prayer is prayer by one Spirit. He has given us His Holy Spirit to live within us, and one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to help us pray, even when we don't know what to pray or how to pray. Romans 8, 26, 27 says this, "...in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness." We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. He intercedes for us. He prays when we don't have a word in our vocabulary to express what we want. So Christian prayer is to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. How should we pray? Well, there's no set way to pray. Again, if we have a set way that we always have to do it, it becomes a ritual. We are free to talk to God as we wish, any way we wish. Consider it a conversation with a good friend, maybe your best friend. Many people find it helpful to have some sort of of a... Uh, pattern uh, to help them through. And one of the patterns that has been used frequently is ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration, where we praise God for who He is and what He's done. C is for confession, where we pour out to Him our heart and talk to Him about the things that we've done that we shouldn't do and the things that we should have done that we haven't done. T is for thanksgiving, giving praise to God for our health, for our family, for our friends, for all the things in our lives. And S, that big word, supplication, is simply asking, asking God for whatever's on our heart. It can concern anything. The, the prayer pattern, if you will, that we use here at Renovation is a simple one. It's STP. Sorry, thank you, please. Again, sorry for what I've done wrong. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And please send the Holy Spirit to reside in me, to help me through everything that there is. So in the STP prayer, we're praying to the Trinity as well. It's good, I think, to establish your own pattern, something that you can kind of think through to make sure that you've covered all the bases maybe when you pray. Jesus gave his disciples this prayer that we just looked at as a pattern. And in turn, it's given to us as a pattern for our prayer. Just a pattern. But so sadly, we in churches have taken that prayer and used it mechanically. I've been in churches where the Lord's Prayer is recited every week, and the people there don't have a clue what they're saying. It's just babbling words off the tongue. They're not thinking about what it is. It's just that time in the service when it's time for us to recite the Lord's Prayer. So let's say it. 
That's not what he wanted us to do. Jesus was teaching us specifically not to do that. So let's take a look at this Lord's Prayer, kind of verse by verse real quickly to see if there's anything there that we might want to include in our prayer life. And I've left on your sheets, your little handouts, some space after each one of these where you can write down your thoughts. Maybe, maybe as I mentioned that verse, uh, the first one is begin with thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Maybe you can, maybe something pops into your mind that you want to thank God about. Well, write it down there, and then later on today, tomorrow, you can, you can make up your own, devise your own prayer. So we begin with a recollection of who we are approaching. Who is it that we're talking to? Jesus, when he taught and when he prayed, almost certainly prayed in Aramaic because it was the language that the people spoke in that country at that time. Yes, Greek was used, but it was kind of a commercial language. It wasn't the language of the average person. So he taught in Aramaic. And Karen, several weeks ago, talked to us about Abba, Father. The word Father that we get is in Aramaic, uh, it's Abba. And that has a meaning somewhat like Daddy, but it doesn't have any childish connotation to it. It's just a, an intimacy an intimate relationship, if you will, that, like we would have with our daddies. And, and notice throughout this whole prayer, there's plural pronouns. Plural pronouns. Our Father, give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we, our debtors, lead us, deliver us. What this says to me is there's a sense of being a part of God's family when we pray this prayer. We're not out there alone. We're with all the other members of the family, praying together. And remember, we're speaking to God, the creator of the universe. This is also an appropriate time to, to thank God for his blessings in your life. Again, whether it's your health or your family or your friends or whatever it might be. The answered prayers that you've had. So, so often we forget to thank him for answering the prayer that we had yesterday. We know it's answered, but we don't, we don't even think about thanking him for that. The second little uh, phrase there uh, would cause us to focus on God's honor. Our first concern should be for God's name to be honored. Hallowed is the word that's used. Today, unfortunately, God's name is not honored in the media, in the culture, in politics, in our schools, and sadly, in many of our homes. Too often, God's name, or the name Jesus, is a swear word in, our, in all those locations. So the supreme cry of our hearts should be to bring honor to God's name in everything that we do. Next, pray for God's rule and reign. Walt sang that song this morning about uh, coming and here. We've talked about that before, about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is God's rule and reign. God's kingdom will be complete when Jesus comes again. We all know that. But the kingdom broke into history when Jesus came the first time. So it's already 
and not yet. Jesus demonstrated the presence of God's kingdom in his own ministry. And he expects us. Matter of fact, he commands us to do the same thing in our ministries. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for God's rule and reign to come today to where we are, both both now and in the future. So what does that look like, really? Well, it includes praying for people to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, yeah, for people to be healed, for people to be set free from evil and bondage and, and sin, for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and given the gifts of the Spirit so that we can serve and obey this King whose kingdom we're asking to come. It would mean an end to preventable diseases, an end to poverty, and so on and so on, all the things, all the things. Here's an example. The 19th century preacher Dwight L. Moody wrote down a list of 100 people, and he prayed for them to be converted for his whole lifetime. He wanted to see those 100 people converted by the time he died. Well, by the time he died, 96 of them had been converted. They had become Christians. And at his funeral, the last four gave their lives to Christ. That's the kingdom coming. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Next, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many people are worried sick about the issues that are facing them or the decisions that they have to make. It's worried them absolutely sick. Major issues, minor issues, it doesn't matter. And the psalmist in Psalm 37, 5 says this, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. If we want to make sure that the decision we're making is not a mistake, we need to pray to God that His will is going to be done in this decision. For example, if if you're praying about whether or not a relationship that you're in is right, you might say something like this. If this relationship is wrong, God, I pray that you will stop it. But if this relationship is right, I pray that nothing can stop it. And then watch him act. See how he's going to act. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus is referring here to our basic needs, all of our basic needs. When I read this, I think about the manna that God provided for his people in the desert. And it was a daily thing. They were instructed not to try to take more manna in a day than they could eat or use because if they did, they found out it spoiled It looked like a science project. So they had to uh, receive the, the daily bread each day, each day. Martin Luther, in his commentary on this very verse, says, um, we should pray for everything necessary for the preservation of our lives, like food, a healthy body, good weather, a house, a wife or husband, children, good government, peace, everything. If, if we are concerned about something in our lives, then God is concerned about it also. doesn't matter how small it is or how large it is. 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this debt word you know, doesn't necessarily mean that you owe somebody money. These are the things that we've done wrong, the sins, the, the wrongs that we have d- done against other people. And when we come to Jesus confessing our sins, you know this, we've talked about this, and trusting in Him alone for our eternal salvation, we are forgiven of everything. He forgives us of everything, past, present, and future. And then we get that great question, which I heard last week in an alpha group. Why do we need to keep praying for forgiveness then, if we're already forgiven? And Jesus in John chapter 13 kind of gives us an example of this. You'll remember the scene, it's the Last Supper. Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet. And he moves over to Peter to wash his feet. And Peter says, no, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. And Peter says, well, Lord, in that case, wash my whole body. I want the whole thing done. And Jesus says, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. What in the world does that mean? It means that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are made totally clean. Everything that we've done wrong is forgiven. Everything that we will do wrong is forgiven. But as we go through the world, we start picking up dirt on our feet in terms of our relationship with God. And pretty soon, our feet are so dirty we can't see them. And they have to be washed clean on a daily basis. Our, our status is always secure, but we need to be cleaning ourselves up, going to Him to get cleaned up and to be refilled on a daily basis. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Greek, the word for tempt and the word for test is the same word, or basically the same word. It's not exactly, but it's, it's the same root word. <clears throat> And I want you to understand that God never tempts you. But I can attest to the fact that He does test you. He will test you. Every every Christian has a weak area. We all do. We know it. It might be fear. might be selfish ambition. might be greed. might be pride, lust, gossiping, cynicism, or something else. And we all know what our weaknesses are. And we can pray for protection against those. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do here. Okay, well, when should we pray? Simply in Scripture, over and over again, it says always. Pray always. Pray incessantly. Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times, it says. There's no special place. There's no special posture. There's no special pattern. Jesus told us to pray And then he showed us in the scripture that we looked at today how to pray. It's important that we do pray, and it's important that we pray with sincerity of heart. When I repeat the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us, I cannot say our if I think the only people going to heaven are people that believe exactly like I believe. I can't say Father 
if I don't demonstrate that relationship with him in my everyday life. I can't say in heaven if I'm so preoccupied with earth that I'm not laying up treasure there. I can't say hallowed be your name if I, who am called by his name, am not holy also, or at least striving for it. I cannot say your will be done if I'm questioning and resentful and disobedient to his will for me. I cannot say on earth as it is in heaven if I'm not prepared to devote my life here to his service. I can't say give us today our daily bread if I'm living on past experience or looking anywhere else for satisfaction and motivation. I can't say lead us not into temptation if I deliberately place myself in or remain in a position where I'm likely to be tempted. I can't say deliver us from the evil one if I'm not prepared to fight evil in the spiritual realm with the weapon of God's word and prayer. And I cannot say amen if I'm not willing to also add the phrase, cost whatever it may. Because to say this prayer honestly takes everything I have. You see, God never has renovated the rules to fit the man. He always renovates the man to fit the rules. Jesus was teaching his disciples on that last night that he spent with them. And he said, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said to them, friends, this is my body. And it's broken for you. It's going to be broken for every wrong that you do. I'm taking all those wrongs on myself. And he did it obediently, in obedience to his father. He did it willingly. I I firmly believe that he could have said no. He chose to do it for each of us here. This is my body, which is broken for you. And after dinner, he took the cup and he poured out the wine saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup. You show my death until I come again. He's coming again. Amen? Soon, I hope. Soon, as as that hymn says, soon, very soon, we hope. In our family, we use wine as the... uh, representation for the blood 
If you choose not to do that, if you would rather have juice instead of wine, there are wine containers, uh, there, there are juice containers at either one of the locations. As the servers come up to accept the elements here, I would pray that they um, would have something to say to you. Listen to what they have to say as you're receiving. It may be just the words that you need to hear today as you go about your life. See what Jesus has in store for you. Thank you, man. You may put your connect cards, your gifts, sign-ups, whatever, in, in either one of the baskets up here as you come. We will have prayer partners on either side that would love to pray with you about any concern you have. Remember, if something is concerning you, it's also concerning God. It doesn't matter how small it is. I can remember praying to God about whether or not I should buy a particular car. He wanted to know that, you know. <laughs> I didn't ask him about the color. Um, that was my own choice, but... He wants, he's, he's interested in you. He's your best friend. Come and meet him at the table.